We are continuing our series on the life of Jacob as we look at the book of Genesis. And uh, just to warn you all, we're looking at a long passage today. Real long. I mean, it's, we, we just printed a portion of it in the bulletin. So if you don't have your Bible, you're not going to be able to follow along the whole thing. Um, but we're going to start in Genesis chapter 29, verse 15, and go all the way to chapter 30, verse 24. Um, and uh, if you remember, um, as you've been following Jacob's life, he um, cheated his brother, um, deceived his father into giving him the blessing um, that the firstborn usually gets, even though he's the secondborn. And as a result, his brother Esau wanted to kill him, and, and so he ran. Uh, his mother uh, arranges for him to run from home and go to her relatives, to uh, Laban, her brother. And so on his way there, he's out in the wilderness. We saw last week that he, uh, he went to sleep all alone, and God spoke to him. God made him aware that he was present with him. And uh, God's presence transformed him, or began to transform a, a little more. <laughs> um, it's going to be a lifelong process for him, as it is for all of us. But uh, he was transformed by the presence of God. And God reminded him of the promise that he made to, to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that he would make him into a great nation, that you wouldn't be able to count his descendants and he promised him that he would be with him. He's like, he said, I'm going to be with you until I bring you back to this place. And, and so Jacob suddenly has this assurance of the fact that God is real and God is powerful and God is with him. And then as he goes from there to Laban's house, uh, the beginning of chapter nine, 29, he, he must have had a little bit more of, a, of confidence in his step, um, being aware that God is actually working and he's with him. He's not going to abandon him. And, uh, and then as we get into chapter 29, he, he stays with his uncle Laban. He meets Rachel, who he falls in love with. And, uh, but then the, chat, the passages we're going to look at today um, are full of a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of disappointment that Jacob encounters and everybody else around him encounters as well. So listen to God's word as I read from Genesis 29. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along there. If you don't, then you'll just have to kind of pick it up when I get to verse, I think, 21 is where it starts there. Um, I think you can follow along um, on the screen. Just listen. Um, This is God's word. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. 
Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now, this time, my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your word. And um, even times like this, when we look at your word and, and we kind of recoil because we're not sure what to make of it, and what to make of the people in it and the way that they are interacting and failing to love one another and honor you. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us and help us to see our own hearts 
and help us to see more than anything, help us to see Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I came into church this morning and was greeted with some disappointment. Um, if uh, any of you knew, the, a few weeks ago, the, the stairwell flooded because we had torrential downpours, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, something like that. Well, as you can guess, we had more torrential downpours last night, and I was like hoping maybe it drained, maybe it didn't, you know. I came in, and the stairwell was flooded with water in there, just, uh, just soaking wet. Um, thankfully to some of the deacons and others, you know, they, they cleaned up some of the water so you're not like squishing your way down to the basement. But I came in, and I was like, oh, come on. Come on. You know, we have to deal with this. Like, it's, it was so disappointing when you're expecting, you know, one thing in life and you get something else that you don't want, you know. Um, how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with life when it doesn't go the way that you're planning on it going? How do you deal with life when, when you, 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 you encounter something that's massively disappointing? Um, maybe I, I encourage you even now to think about what, 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 it, what, are, what is disappointing maybe about your life today? Are there circumstances in your life that you would wish, you wish were different? Um, are there circumstances in your life that you, you, you know, you were, you were hoping your life would be one way, but it's not? Um, maybe your job is a big disappointment today. Um, even a job that you'd longed for, that you'd hoped for, you know, and you get it, and it's, you know, not what you had expected. Um, maybe just the circumstances of, of your life in general, you know, you would hope to be at this stage in your life, and you're not. Maybe your marriage is a disappointment. Um, the person that you're married to has changed over the years and, and you don't recognize them anymore and, and they're not as easy to love as they used to be. And maybe, you know, you longed for children and that's kind of been a disappointment. It's not all it's cracked, being parent, you know, a parent is not all it's cracked up to be sometimes and it's disappointing. Um, how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with disappointment? Maybe there's just like small things that happen like a flooded stairwell. Or early this week, we got into our car and the battery was dead. And we were out at a fast food place and the whole family was there. We're like, what are we going to do? How do you deal with disappointment? How do you respond to disappointment? Um, this passage is full of disappointed people. Did you notice how many disappointed people there are in this passage? Um, I mean, first of all, you, you have Jacob. Jacob, who goes to his, uh, his relative's home, Laban, he lives there. He falls in love with this girl, Rachel. He is infatuated with her. So infatuated, so in love that just working seven years goes by like that. He's willing to work seven years and it's like nothing. And then the next thing you know, he is deceived by his uncle and given the older daughter that he's not too happy with at all. And then he's forced to work another seven years to get Rachel as well. Um, think about Leah, how disappointed she must have been. I mean, you would think that she probably dreamed of hopefully having a husband that loved her, that cared about her, and instead she gets a husband that resents her, that even hates her, and maybe can't even look at her. And you think of Rachel um, 
Maybe she's loved by her husband, but she can't have kids. She's barren. How disappointed she must have been. And there's a lot of disappointed people here. And I think one of the things that this passage, that these, these verses help us to see is how God works in the midst of our disappointment. Um, and, uh, and also how, how we should respond to him. How we should respond to disappointment. Whether it's big stuff that we're experiencing disappointment because of loss, real serious painful loss in our lives, or even small things like a little water in the stairs. Um, how do we respond to disappointment? How should we respond to disappointment? Um, well, I think one of the things that I notice is as you look at Jacob's disappointment is I think as you look at Jacob's disappointment, I think we're encouraged to consider God's discipline, to consider that God might be wanting to work in our hearts and in our lives to change us, to grow us. Um, why would I say that? Well, one of the most consistently humbling things I do on a daily basis is look in a mirror. Um, I, we, you know, we all have this kind of idealized version of ourselves that we think we look like, and you know, I, I, I would love to, you know, I always envision myself looking like I used to in high school and in college, you know? I was a little bit more muscular, and you know, like this morning I, I got, I, I looked in the mirror, and, and there's this like red mark on my face. I don't even know where that came from. Like, what is that? You know, like you can't hide from the reality of who you really are and all of your flaws when you look in a mirror. None of us can. And, and what happens here in um, the end of chapter 29, um, as Jacob comes to Laban's house, and as he is cheated by Laban, is I think in a lot of ways he's given a mirror to look at himself. Did you notice that? At, at all the ways that, the ways that he has cheated by Laban mirror the ways that he has just cheated his brother and deceived his father. You know, just the fact that, that, that he is cheat, just, just the fact that he's deceived, the word deceived there, the same root word is used in both places. But then also, um, think about it. Uh, the way that he cheats his brother and his father is because of his father's inability to see. And um, if you're unfamiliar with the customs, the, 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 when, when somebody would get married, the, 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 the wife would be veiled. You would not be able to see her. And then as she goes in, as they go into the tent together at night, the, there's no visibility, it's dark. He's unable to see. And because of that, he's able to be deceived. Just like his dad was deceived because of his inability to see. And also, did you notice how Laban points out um, this is it verse 26? Laban said, it's, it's not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Does that ring any bells, Jacob, from the conflict that you had, from what you're just running from? The younger just stepped ahead of the firstborn, right? And so the, all of the pain that Jacob is feeling right now mirrors the pain that he inflicted back at home. And... and don't forget, as he comes to Laban's house, he is confident that God is with him, that God is working in his life. And so the implication is that, not that God is necessarily, you know, forcing Laban to do these things, but God is absolutely using this situation and using Laban's um, duplicitousness, his deceitfulness, because he's after Jacob's heart. He wants to do something in Jacob's heart. He wants to bring Jacob to a point of humility to see his own sin 
when we are dealt with disappointment, I think one of the things we need to consider and reflect on is this. How is God pursuing my heart? <laughs> what does God want to do in me? Does he want to cultivate greater humility in my heart, greater patience, greater awareness of others, greater empathy, greater kindness, greater gentleness. I think anytime we encounter uh, disappointment, it's healthy for us to think, how does God want to show me how I need to grow, right? And so that's one of the things I think that, that discipline does. It invites us to consider how God is disciplining us to grow us and change us. But secondly, in the midst of all this disappointment, this passage invites us to count on God's promises. And I think that's probably the overarching big point here. Um, God makes this promise to, to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that he's going he's to bless him and bless all the, 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 the world through him. And he's going to make him into a great nation, right? And he's going to give him the land. And, and so God gives Abraham a child, Isaac. And then he gives Isaac a couple sons, Esau and Jacob. But then as this chapter progresses, there's all sorts of ugliness and dysfunction. And, and, you know, and yet throughout it all, God uses it to do what? To give Jacob 11. And eventually he'll have 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, as, as the Israelites are later reading this, they're like, this is where we came from. This is God accomplishing exactly what he said he was going to do. That's why I wanted us to read through all of these sons being born. It's, it's God being faithful and even using the unfaithfulness of people and the brokenness of people and the sin of people. You know, there's so much ugliness here in this chapter, right? I mean, there's this deception by Laban there's polygamy happening here. By the way, this isn't you know, condoning polygamy. This isn't an advertisement for polygamy that God says, no, this is the way things should be. No, absolutely not. Just because a hero of the faith does something does not mean that it's a good thing, okay? <laughs> I mean, we, we, get God's under, we understand God's plan for marriage from, from Genesis 2 when he, when he creates Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, to be committed to one another. And then any time you see, you know, you see Jacob, you see other kings of Israel who have many wives and concubines, it only ends up with pain and heartbreak and trouble. And yet God uses all of this, and he uses the, the, the wives who are like competing with one another and wrestling with one another and hiring their husband out. Do you notice that? With the mandrakes, what's up with the mandrakes? Well, I mean, the mandrakes basically were, were used at the time they were seen as something that, that helped with fertility, okay? And so she was willing to, to trade her mandrakes away in order to get a night with her husband. Um, but it's, it's just like, what is going on here? This is just wrong on all sorts of levels, right? And yet God uses it. He uses it to accomplish his promise, to fulfill his promise. And I think that's one of the things that, that we, he, he is in urging us to see, that he is absolutely faithful to every single one of his promises. That's who God is. And when we encounter disappointing circumstances, what we need to do, I mean, think about it. Jacob is living this life of disappointment, surrounded by people who are disappointed. 
And it could be so easy to him to live those seven years as he's working for Laban, those seven additional years, to be focusing on all of the disappointment, on all of the unhappy people, you know, on all that is wrong with life. And instead, I think what God invites Jacob to do and what he invites all of us to do, and instead of focusing on the disappointment and what it robs us of, he invites us to, to focus in, instead on his faithfulness to his promises. He invites us to, to, to meditate on his promises, to study his promises, to know his promises inside and out. Promises like he will do all things for the good of those who love him, right? That's what he tells us to, to hold on to instead of the pain of the disappointment that we feel. The fact that he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish the work that I started in you. I'm gonna use you to do good. You are my masterpiece. You are my workmanship. I'm gonna use you for great things. He, he promises, I will never leave you. He promises, there's nothing that will, that will separate you from my love. He promises, I will give you rest if you will just come to me. Rivers of living water will flow from you if you just believe in me. He invites us to, to mine his word for all of the promises that are there and cling to them. Meditate on them. Count on them. No matter how disappointing our life might be. And so he encourages us to count on the promises. And, and, and lastly, I think this, this passage teaches us that in our disappointment, what we need to learn to do is to crave more of God above all else. This passage encourages us to, to crave more of God above all else. Last, um, lately, our, our youngest son, David, this past week especially, he has been craving McDonald's. He's been craving McDonald's so much. Like, every, at the beginning of the week, anytime a meal, you know, the subject of a meal come, came up, or what we were gonna have for lunch or for dinner, he was like, can we go to McDonald's? Can we go to McDonald's? Can we go to McDonald's? Every single time. By the middle of the week, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't so much, can we go to McDonald's? It was like, I want to go to McDonald's! And then by the end of the week, it was just like, McDonald's! <laughs> he, was just, he was craving it. Like that, was, that is the only thing that was satisf satisfying. We haven't taken him to McDonald's yet, so he's still, he's still in that place. Did he say it on the way to church? He said it on the way to church. <laughs> That is the only thing. He's like singularly focused on the golden arches. Like nothing else will satisfy him. It's so funny. I mean, that's, that's what a craving is, right? A craving is when you are just focused on that one thing and you, nothing will satisfy you other than that one thing. Look at Leah at the end of chapter nine. What is it that she craves? What is she craving? And I think you get, a, you get a, a, a just kind of a, an idea of what she's craving by what she's naming her kids. You notice this? As she has a child, her first child. Um, she names him Reuben. She said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She just craves the love of her husband. I, I, you can imagine it. You can imagine it. All she wants is a husband that, that loves her. The second son she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, all she wants is for her husband to stop hating her, her husband to love her. You get a sense of her, her, the brokenness of her heart. And then she has a third son. Verse 34, I mean, now 
this time my husband will be attached to me. Finally, I've had three sons, and this time he will finally notice me. He will finally be attached to me. What she craves, what she wants more than anything is for her husband to notice her and love her as she should be loved by her husband. That's what she craves. But then finally, something changes. At least momentarily, something changes when she has the fourth son. Because the fourth son, she names him what? She names him Judah. And what does she say? This time, I will praise the Lord. She's finally at least begun to turn her attention away from longing for, craving the love of her husband, and instead looking at God and praising him. And that's it. Worshiping God. Um, I, I think one way that you could look at worship is as a craving for more of God. I think that's a good way to, to describe worship, to define worship, is, is like you have found the one thing that will satisfy, the one person that will satisfy, and so you're giving him all of your attention. That's what worship invites us to do, to crave for more of him, to know him more, to experience his power more, to experience more of his grace. That is what worship is. That is what praise is. And I think in an imperfect way, maybe Leah has come to this point when she had Judah. I mean, later on, she continues to kind of name her kids related to her husband, but, but here, maybe she has a moment of clarity. Instead of, of longing for, for this love from her husband that she's never gonna get, maybe what she needs to do is to fix her heart upon God because he alone will satisfy her when everything else will disappoint. She's beginning to see that the goodness of God is what she needs more than anything else. And the cool thing is, is she only grasps a, a tiny little part of how good God is here. Because so far, what, she, what has she experienced? The fact that God has given her three sons, which is fantastic. Well, four sons, I'm sorry, at this point, which is fantastic, it's incredible. But what she doesn't realize is that she's gonna have two more, which accounts for half of the tribes of Israel, right? But even beyond that, her third son, who she named Levi, right? Levi becomes the ancestor of all of the priests in Israel, those who work closely in the temple, closest to where the presence of God was, was said to be. I mean, that's an honor that she, she would be the ancestor of the Levites. But then on top of that, she's the, she, she's the mother of Judah, who's the ancestor of who? All the kings of Israel. What an honor that she gets one maybe who is most forgotten, most ashamed, most overlooked, experiences the greatest exaltation from God. And these children that are born to her, this is how good God is. This is how satisfying God is and the good things that he gives. And so it's at the birth of Judah that Leah is, has possibly come to realize that the only thing in life that is worth craving is more of God himself. And it's through the line of Judah, the fourth son of Leah, years and years and years later, later that God gives exactly that, gives more of himself. He gives more of himself through Jesus, the God-man, the son of David, the son of Judah. 
It's through Jesus that God comes and sacrifices so that we could be forgiven and we could be brought into his presence and we could experience his grace. His grace that is absolutely sufficient. The grace that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 where he quotes Jesus as saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? When Paul's talking about the thorn that is in his flesh, the disappointment that he has experienced himself. Paul knew it. Paul knew it, that, that in the midst of disappointment, the only thing that will satisfy us is if we crave more of God, more of Jesus. And so this is what I think disappointment invites us to do. It invites us to, to, look, to look at our own hearts, to look at how God is, is after our hearts. It invites us to cling to his faithfulness and his promises, but more than anything else, it invites us to see that only God will satisfy us and everything else will disappoint. Who are you craving? What are you craving for today? What are you craving for today? Is it simply your next meal at McDonald's? Is it that your spouse would treat you the way that you think you should be treated? Is it that your kids would be perfect and have no problems? Is it that your job would be completely fulfilling? Is it that the aches and pains would go away? I'm sorry to break it to you, none of these things will satisfy you. They will all disappoint. Turn your attention and turn your heart to God. Turn them to Jesus who came and who gave himself all of himself for you and for me so that you would know and be able to count on the fact that he 